We began at the first book of the Bible. We alternated between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then in the course of 15 years, we've already completed some of the Bible. We're fixing to, uh, we just finished the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, fixing to go into uh, Isaiah, or Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. New Testament, we just finished the big book of Hebrews, Philemon, and Titus, fixing to start the book of James. So this has been a progress, I said, of 15 years, and over that 15 years, maybe no one's learned anything from what I had to say, but I've learned a lot. And in the course of that time, I've understood something that God has done. And he has given us this word, this word right here, as an example, as a direction for our lives. And when I say example, he uses that same term. And I'm going to read to you, first of all, starting in the book of Jude. It's a very short book. But it says this, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example. Are set forth for an example. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So God has given us these stories in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, as examples so that we can see what it means to follow God's word or to dismiss God's word. If we follow God's word, if we put it to practice in our lives, if we exercise it on a daily basis, even under the duress and chaos of this life, we will see that God will prosper us. And when I say prosper, he will bring us through each one of those situations and bring us out on top of the current situations we're going through. If we dismiss the Word of God and say that the Word of God is not meaningful today, then we will suffer the same consequences as what he described in the Old Testament to those who disavowed and disobeyed God's Word. We read several passages at the opening. We read one from chapter 12 of, of Psalm that says that the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord are pure words as silver refined in the furnace of clay, purified seven times. If any of you own a, a gold or silver coin, you'll see it's marked on there. It says that 0.999% pure meaning the government cannot guarantee that there's absolutely no dross in it, absolutely no infirmity in it. But God says, and they refine it at least five times. God says in his word, his refer word has been refined seven times, which means there's no dross, there are no iniquities, there are no impurities in God's word. 
And then it goes on to say, And you, O Lord, shall keep them from this generation forward. He promises to preserve his word. So as we read the, the pure word of God, when we see what he has to say, and all these things that he said has been giving as examples, then what's an example for? What does an example do? It gives us clarity to a situation. It gives us clarity as to where we need to go. It gives us clarity as to what needs to be done to rectify a situation. And so when he says he's, been, he's given these things as examples, should we not take it to heart that he gave it to us for a specific purpose? First Corinthians chapter 6. Or chapter 10, I'm sorry. Moreover, brothers, I would not have you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now he's talking about his fellow Israelites. This is Paul speaking. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat, which is the manna. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And when they were in the desert, God opened up, split a rock in two, provided enough water for the two million people that were there plus all their livestock. Verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now listen to this. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted neither be you idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand you can read that story about Balaam and Balak Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so we're given testimony by God that all these activities took place as examples. In our study on Sunday night as we look through the Word of God, we try to draw a parallel between what the examples of the Old Testament that took place with the Israelites have to do with the nation that we live in today. And we can see a very close parallel to the same thing that took place then as taking place now. And so when God says all these things were given examples to those who fell because of their disobedience to God, could not be the same thing that we experience here in our nation today? You know, it wasn't that long ago that the United States was the pinnacle among all the nations of the world. In fact, it was not very long ago at all. 
But in the past three years, we've fallen from that pinnacle. Why? Why have we fallen from that grace? Why have we fallen down to the place we are now, where we're inundated by the alphabet community? We are lied to by our government. Our education system is failing us miserably. Our corporate structure is such that it operates strictly on greed, not on customer satisfaction. Our entertainment industry produces the most vile filth that you can imagine. Whereas we were once called a Christian nation, and I got upset with Obama when he said that we were no longer a Christian nation, but lo and behold, I have to agree with him. We have fallen from grace. We have fallen from that pinnacle. Why? Because we have not observed the examples that were given to us. Sodom and Gomorrah, very specific why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Because they went after strange flesh. What's being pushed on us today? Is that not strange flesh where we mutilate our children? Or our children are used for trafficking? It's a horrible thing that we are experiencing and seeing go on in our nation, not only in our nation, but around the world. But God says these examples have been given to you so that you won't fall into the same trap. Now, where were those examples talked about? They were talked about in the New Testament. The New Testament referring to the Old Testament, that activities that took place. So what does that entail for us? Well, I'm going to take you through a little history lesson. Yes, I'm going to read a lot of scripture because the word of God, is, uh, Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of scripture because the word of God is true. The word of God has the power. And so I'm going to look at 2 Kings to begin with. I'm going to give you just a brief history of what took place. There are three kings in the southern kingdom that were brought to the elevation of King David. One of those was Hezekiah. Another was Josiah. Hezekiah was a very God-fearing man. And because of that, his nation of, his, of, of the southern kingdom prospered. But when Hezekiah died, his son took over. And I want to read to you what his son did. Because he did not follow up in his father's footsteps. <clears throat> Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. 55 years. Can you imagine having a president for 55 years? We're usually ready to get rid of him after four, aren't we? <laughs> and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, had, his father, had destroyed. He reared up altars to Baal and made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Now if you read the history of Ahab, you find out what a wicked person he was. 
And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, Will I put my name? And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. In other words, he defiled God's temple. And he made his son pass through the fire. Now what does that mean, today's term? I'm going to give you a relationship because I'm saying we're seeing a parallel relationship to the Old Testament scripture that was given as examples to us in what's taking place today. He made his son pass through the fire. Last year our Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade and said it was a bad decision made in 1973. But since that time there's been this onslaught in our nation to not only resurrect abortion but even to take it up into the time of birth albeit that's horrible enough, but now the state of New York is wanting to institute legislation whereby we can take the life of the child 28 days after birth. That is parallel to passing his son through the fire. Bringing back Baal. Baal had a, a, a co-regent name is Moloch. And both of these gods required the sacrifice of children to satisfy their needs. And so the children were taken after they had been born and they were placed in the outstretched arms of this Baal figure. And in his belly was a fire. And as it got hot, that baby would roll into that fire and be consumed. That's a picture destruction of, of, of young life of our children what are we doing today in this country the blue states are enacting laws they're encouraging women to come to those blue states and get their abortions the same thing that took place in ancient Israel is taking place in our nation today since the inception of Roe versus Wade has been over 62 million children sacrificed to Baal in this country. Over 62 million. And they're trying to up that count. A parallel universe between the Old Testament and where we are today. And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. What's this mean? Call me, man. Call me. I tell you your future. He wrought such wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. And so Manasseh brought in these filthy idols and placed them in the house of God. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will only if they will observe to do according to all that I had commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. He said, I will establish Israel forever as long as they will follow my decrees. The same thing stands true for the United States. We will stand forever as long as we follow the statutes, the decrees that God has given us. All boil down to one simple thing. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 9, But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did which were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever hears of it, both his ears shall tingle, and I will stretch out over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, and I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies." Because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the days their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much. And here we go with the abortion thing again. Innocent blood. Till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin wherewith he made Judah the sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here was a man who had a godly father. He didn't follow in his footsteps. He did more evil than any other king before him. And he brought on the wrath of God who said, and I am going to wipe Jerusalem away. After Manasseh's 55 years, his son Ammon took over for two years, and Ammon wasn't any better than his dad. But Adam, Ammon was taken out and then another king came along named Josiah Josiah became king when he was 8 years old and it said when he reached 16 he began to seek the Lord and that was because they had a, a priest who feared God and brought him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and it says of Josiah again put in the same realm as King David that there was never a king like him before and Josiah was a reformer king. In other words, he tore down all the junk that Manasseh had put up. And he brought forth the word of God, even found the word of God in the temple. And when the word was read to him, it said he tore his clothes because he says, What I have heard from the word of God, that we are in more trouble than we can get out of if we do not return to him. And so Josiah brought reform to the land. But the influence that Manasseh had had for 55 years had the people in a situation where they were all still following after evil. And after Josiah died, his sons took over. And his sons, again... Like Hezekiah's son, they did not follow in, in Josiah's footsteps. But because of what God says, because of what Manasseh has done, I will not relent. He allowed Josiah, because he was a reformer king, because he was a man and feared God, he allowed Josiah to pass on without the destruction 
of Israel, or of, of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. And so that when Josiah died, it began a 24-year trip. Because when his son took over, he lasted three months and then followed up by another son. And it said he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this began in 610 B.C. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw parallels as I go through this. Because he did not fear God and he followed after the practices of the evil kings before, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and attacked Jerusalem for the first time. This was in 605 B.C., five years after the king took the evil king took over. In 605 BC, that's when Daniel was taken into captivity to Babylon, him and his friends. And Nebuchadnezzar set up a uh, vassal, and this vassal was to uh, do what the king said. And he rebelled against the king Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar came back nine years later and did a second attack on Jerusalem. He carried away more people, took more stuff out of the temple, and set up a situation, took care of that king, wiped him out. Another king took over. He lasted for three months. And then a fourth king. All of these kings did not follow, did not fear God. And the final one was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah ruled for 11 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And finally, when he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar said, I've had enough of this group. And so he took his army and he besieged Jerusalem for two years. And the famine became so great in Jerusalem that in the book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah wrote, it says that the mothers actually took turns cooking their children to have food to eat. That's how severe the famine was. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, used to be the pinnacle among nations. When David was king, when Solomon was king, it was the pinnacle among all the nations of what was the known world. But when the kings began to fall away from God's word, Israel began to fail. And so the two kingdoms eventually ended up going into captivity. And Jerusalem was completely, totally, utterly destroyed. Now us, United States, has been the pinnacle at one time, the pinnacle among all the nations. Do we think we're too big to fail? Do we think we're too big that God will not bring us to our knees? If we follow after, when he gave us these examples to show what would happen if we dismiss God's word, if those are examples for us, then what does that tell us? If he destroyed the beautiful temple that Solomon built, if he destroyed the city that he loves, if he tore down the walls and dispersed the people and caused many to, to be slaughtered by the Babylonian army do you think that we will not face the same situation is it possible that these examples that were given us we could fall prey to
If you go read the history of what took place, you'll see that God was long-suffering. He was merciful. The people rebelled against him, continued to rebel against him. He still extended his mercy and his long-suffering. But finally there is a point, he says, enough is enough. We're not going to go beyond it. The parallel I was talking about, I said the first attack came on Jerusalem by Babylon was in 605 B.C. The second one was in 599 B.C. The third was in 586, the one that was final, absolutely final. That's when everything was destroyed. The people were either killed or dispersed or taken into captivity. In 2001, in the United States, there was an attack made on the Twin Towers of New York City. What happened in 2020? COVID came on the scene, right? We suddenly found ourselves restricted to our home, had to have a mask. Uh, We were threatened that we needed, absolutely had to take an injection. What's significant about it? From 605 B.C. to 586 B.C. is 19 years. So the first attack that came on Jerusalem was in 605. The first attack that came on us was in 2001. The final attack, the one that destroyed Jerusalem and the southern kingdom, was in 586, 19 years later. COVID came on the scene, 2020, 19 years after the first attack. Do you see the parallel? Do you see how the examples that God gave us in the Old Testament are being visited on us today? Can you see that if this nation does not repent and does not return to God, how the same thing can happen to us? If we think we're at the pinnacle now, if we think we're too big to fall, we're in a serious situation. 586, judgment, God's final judgment on the southern kingdom took place. 2020, when COVID came on the scene, that began the judgment. We are not approaching judgment. Judgment is not coming. Judgment is taking place right now because of all the activities that we see going on in our nation. When we are told that we have to have a jab, when we are told that if we do not bow to the pride group, that we are ones who are unlawful. When we are told that we must allow abortion to take place, follow the prescript. Follow what took place. See what Manasseh did when he was king. And see what's taking place in our nation and see if we're not following the same course. Is there any solution for it? Can we put an end to where this is headed? Remember, these were given to us for examples.
Peter writes and says, For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Our solution to this pollution is not retaliation in the form of weaponry. Our solution is to follow God's directives, is to follow his footsteps, to follow what his word has told us, to do what he instructed us to do. And so he gave us guidelines. I've talked to this before about the solution too. You go read the book of Jonah. The solution's right there in the book of Jonah. When he was told to go to Nineveh and tell them that your time is up, if you do not repent, God is going to take you out. And Jonah was so glad to hear that, and he went the other way. He says, I'm not going to go. I'm going to let God take him out. Now, what did God do? <laughs> he put Jonah through three days of really tough stuff in the belly of a fish at the bottom of a sea. And he got spit out by that fish. And can you imagine what he smelled like and looked like with seaweed and the uh, gastric juices of a fish and all the other stuff? Uh, Jonah got the idea that maybe God was serious about him going. So when God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Tell them that if they don't repent, their time is up. And so Jonah reluctantly went to Nineveh. He didn't want to go through another exercise like that. And so for three days he walked through the city of Nineveh saying, Repent, for God is going to take you out. You have 40 days to get your act together. Otherwise, God's going to take you out. And he delivered that message. I don't think he did it with a smile. Well, yeah, maybe with a smile. Yeah, these guys are going to get what they deserve. And after he delivered that message, he went out on the hill east of Nineveh and sat down and waited for that 41st day to show up. Because he just knew that these wicked people were not going to repent. But what happened? The message began to spread around Nineveh. Now understand, these are wicked people. If God's going to take you out, you know you're wicked. But apparently... Doesn't say so in the book of Jonah, but apparently they were suffering things like we are today in our United States, where our economy is going to the tank, where our food supply is becoming strained, where we're being hit by the onslaught of the alphabet people, where our government doesn't appreciate us. We have a two tier justice system. Apparently, something was going on in Nineveh, something like what we're experiencing. And as the word spread, it says that they repented in ashes from the king on down. And so on day 41, Jonah's sitting out there. He said, I knew you were a merciful God. Oh, how much I wanted these people to be destroyed. But you're a merciful God. And so none of us survived for another hundred years. In fact, it was only two years before Jerusalem was attacked the first time by Babylon that Nineveh 
has finally succumbed. That's our answer. That is our answer to our critical situation is that we repent and sackcloth and ashes from the king on down. Now you say, that's impossible. Well, if you understand how wicked the people of Nineveh was and yet it took place, it is possible. All things are possible with God. So that's what we need to do. We need to pray for a national repentance. We need to pray that the Spirit of the living God would permeate our, our churches, our education system, our government, our entertainment industry, our corporate structure, and our education system. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now this is the scripture we read this morning. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We're not hiding anything from God. Either we're for him or we're against him. There is no middle ground. James talks about the fact of the double-minded man who tries to straddle the fence. He says, let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. Our answer is in Scripture. Our answer is following God's word. If we, if we will repent, if we will change directions, then God promises that he will deliver us. I read to you out of Second Peter. For even hereunto are you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And so he gives us instruction. If you read the Pauline letters, Pauline was designated as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's us. He gives us step-by-step instruction of how we are to follow God's word. One of those instructions is now you put away all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. The instruction is in the Word of God. If we will take to heart the reading and application of God's Word in our lives, if we follow after His direction and His guidelines, we can see this nation turn around. We can see us return to where we were once before, one nation under God. But it's only going to be if we apply ourselves to doing so. We can't wait for the next guy. We can't let the next guy take care of it. We have to take the responsibility upon ourselves. If you read the book of Daniel, Daniel, as I said, he was taken in the first onslaught of Babylon on Jerusalem. He was taken, made a eunuch. But Daniel was a wise young man, and he rose to high prominence in Babylon under at least five different kings. 
And Daniel, when he was praying, he spent 21 days in prayer because his, his heart was broken for his native land. And it says that he took, Daniel took the responsibility of the sins of his own people on himself. And he prayed that his people would repent. Nehemiah, almost, uh, oh gosh, 70 years later, serving under a foreign king. Heartbreaking for a, a land he never was born in, but he wanted to return to it. And he took the responsibility for the sins of his people upon himself and prayed that his people would repent. That's our only solution, people. That's the only thing that's going to get us back. You know, as we listen to this campaign go on about the next presidential election, when Donald Trump was running the first time, he promised to make America great again. And for four years, we saw that experience take place, and we saw us uh, become significant among the nations of the world. There were wars ceased. ISIS was taken out. There's a lot of good things took place. Our border was pretty much secured. Over the last three years, we've seen that deterioration just plummet. And he's promising once again that if we elect him, he will make America great again. While it sounds good, I love the sound of it, but here's the deal. Donald Trump can't make America great again. The only one who can is the Lord God Almighty. And that's if his people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will he heal our land. Is there hope? Yes, there's always hope. As long as we are drawing breath, there's always hope. But when we go look at the examples in the Old Testament, what do we see? When the nation of Israel fell, they never recovered. When I say that, I'm talking about 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Romans completely, totally, utterly destroyed the nation of Israel, killing over a million and a half people, destroying the temple and the city, leveling the city, and that nation never rose again until 1948. It's the only nation on record that ever came back from total annihilation. How long did that take? 70 A.D. to 1948? Quite a while, right? If this nation falls, we're not going to recover in days. We're not going to recover in weeks or months. We may never recover. Only if we return to God do we have a hope of our nation returning to the place where it used to be. Questions or comments? I'm open.